Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Red Rob. All work and no podcast makes Jack a dull boy. Let's kill the light and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Flanagan's Cocktails and Dreams. Come have an orgasm and death spasm made by the world's last barman poet, only at Flanagan's Cocktails and Dreams. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a movie podcast made by filmmakers. All kinds of hats that we wear on set. I've done many things. I wouldn't say most things. Technically, I've never been a gaffer. Really, the only two roles that I've been on set, or I guess three, would be director, DP, or actor. I wouldn't say I've really ever filled much of any other. Well, I guess I was a second AC on a short film, but in life, I'm a writer as well on the side. Well, I get paid for that too, I guess. But you inhabit Many, many hats because today, I guess, I guess we have a special guest today that I want to introduce real quick. This is a musician, the former frontman, lead singer of Kiona, formerly known as Language Room. Everybody, welcome, Todd. <laughs> Sapia. Oh, yes. oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, so you, that? how many albums did you put out with your bands? With your band? I, I don't know how to uh, quantify that. Like full records? Four. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So four records, the first one you made, like kind of like the the movie we're going to cover today, just, you know, scraping. It's kind of an interesting story how that first album, uh, Things We Wish For, Mm -hmm. came together. Would you just mind telling us how that kind of, you know, came to life? Yeah. So I'll try to keep it brief. (laughs) I mean, it's not like anything crazy, but with a lot of things in life, you kind of look back on it and you're like, wow, how did that happen? Oh yeah, this and then that and then that and that. And it's just kind of like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, how do you make a record? Well, a lot of things have to fall into place, especially when you don't have a label. I was living in LA. I've been there for about four years and was really stagnant in my career, but I was still writing a lot. Like I still, you know, i wanted to make an album. I'd never made an album before. I made EPs and stuff and but I'd never made an album and a buddy of mine that I've been playing in a band with was friends with this guy at a a music licensing company and I met him, super cool guy and he was like, "Hey, yeah, if you want to if you want to record, I'll record you." I was like, "Dude, I got nothing, man. I I'm I have like $5 and I got to eat for a week, you know." And he's like he's like, "No, no, no, no." Like I, I just really love doing this. And I love being a part of music. Like just, we'll just do it. We'll do it after hours, you know, cause I mix during the day, but just come in after hours and we'll, we'll, you know, make an EP. And I said, Oh, awesome. So did that for maybe about a month or so, almost every night I would just go over there. He would, he was amazing. He would work all day and then he would stick around with me and we would, you know, record for how long, like what hours would you be clocking in at? Well, when we were doing the EP, it was only, you know, a few hours here, a few hours there, right. Maybe like two or three hours whenever I could get it. And then on the weekends we would go longer, you know, like just five or six hours, you know, cause he had to have a life at the time pre-record. But then, so the EP came out and it actually did all right. And I had, and then a couple months later I decided, you know what, I, 
not a couple of months, probably about six months later, I decided I want to make a record, but I also want to move home <laughs> to Texas. So I talked to Derek and I said, I said, Hey man, you know, I don't have any money, but I know a lot of great players and you're a great player and you're, he's a, he's a drummer too. And do you, I, I want to make a record, you know, what do you think? And he was, he was all about it. And so we, we spent the next two months, I want to say probably almost, if not every night, five nights a week where he would work from, I mean, he would get there at 9am, nine, between 9 and 10am work until six or seven, uh, go get a coffee, come back. I would meet him back at the studio after the owners left. So they wouldn't know that we were doing this and we would stay until three o'clock in the morning. And then he would wake up and he would drive home. He would wake up at eight o'clock, go into work at nine every day. I mean, two months, I did the same thing. I did the same thing and I, but I had a different job, but still asking somebody to do that. Recording your own stuff is like, that's unreal. And, and so, but the weird thing was, is that I thought we'd be done in a couple of months. We weren't, and I had to, I had to go. So I moved back. And then after a week, I flew back (laughs) to LA, flew back to LA for another month. And I slept on his floor or his couch sometimes when it was available. And he put me up for a month and it was like during the day he would work, he would come home, pick me up. We would go back and, and work until three o'clock in the morning. So for three months straight, almost that's what we did. And then there were two more songs that I still needed finished. And so I did those here in Austin with a, another buddy of mine, Jet Butler, who's a amazing graphics artist here and in Austin photo studio, if you want to check it out and then send it to him and he makes the whole thing. It was like, it was one of those things where if I didn't play with this one guy who knew Derek, if I didn't decide to make the record at that time, cause he had just come off making another album. If, if like, you know, I, he didn't, Dude, the the son of a bitch put up money. He put his own money into it too. He put fifteen hundred bucks into it because we had to. Sometimes we had to like bring in players and actually pay them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I didn't know a dobro player, so I had to pay for one. I didn't know a um, a cellist, so well I knew a cellist, but not one that would do it for free. This guy was like you know L.A. Symphony guy. So and but he was just wonderful, and he he paid for some of it. And the cool thing was, is I was able to pay him back one of the tracks that didn't make it on that album because at that time I was, I was having some really messed up stuff in my life. And there was a song that should have been on that album that didn't go on that album because of some stuff in my life. Mm. I just sold that song to, to his company and I gave him half the song. Wow. I gave him half the writing on that song. Because I told, I told him, I was like, man, you know, this song wouldn't exist in this form if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't still have it. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be forefront of my mind. I've written, you know, a hundred songs that I don't think about anymore. This wouldn't be forefront of my mind if it wasn't for you. And I was giving him half the publishing, but what I'm, when you sell a song, you sell the publishing, at least when you're licensing. So I had to, so I can't give you the publishing, but I can give you the writing. And so I was able to, you know, to pay him back that way. And he was so grateful and thankful. He's like, dude, you don't have to do that. And I said, no, I have to. Of course I do. Anyway, I tried to make that story short, but that's as short as it could be. No, successful 
eight minute uh, story. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Asshole. <laughs> no, I'm the worst. Yeah. At that. But that's a really damn cool story. And we'll get more into some of the other processes that goes into that. I think that that'll be a, a natural outcropping of this, uh, of the, of what we're going to do today, which is what, which is it's called once. So if you haven't seen it, pause this episode and go watch it. It's streaming on HBO max. And I'm sure you can definitely run it on like Amazon and stuff like that for like $4 or something. That's what they usually charge. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it because there's going to be spoilers everywhere. Absolutely. We'll talk about several things. Cinematography we'll touch on, which will probably be a little fun. We'll also discuss rules of a musical and as well as story and great moments and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a synopsis of the, of the film a modern day musical about a busker and an immigrant and their eventful week in Dublin as they write, rehearse and record songs that tell their love story written and directed by John Carney cinematography by Tim Fleming starring Glenn Hansard as guy and Marquetta Iglova as girl. Sent. Brilliant. Thanks. Excuse me? Sorry. Big issue? Can't afford it. This song you just play, you wrote it? Working on it. It's not a, an established song? No, it's not an established song. How come you're not playing during daytime? I see you every day. You know, during the day, people want to hear songs they know, just songs that they recognize. I mean, otherwise, I wouldn't make any money. I play these songs at night. They wouldn't listen. I listen. Yeah, but you give me 10 cents. Well, you do it for money then? Why don't you get a job in a shop? I have a job in a shop. Listen, I'm going to get back to this, yeah? Nice to meet you. Would you write this song for, please? <laughs> no one. Bullshit? Where is she? She's gone. She's dead? No, she's not dead. She's gone. You love her still? Jesus, man. You're over her. Rubbish. No one who wrote this song is over her. I'm telling you. You play this marvelous song to her, you get her back. I don't want her back. I see. What shop are you working? I work in a Hoover repair shop. A Hoover? You know, like a vacuum cleaner. You fix vacuum cleaners? I do. I have a broken vacuum cleaner. You fix it for me? Yeah. I bring it tomorrow then? Okay. This is great. Tomorrow? Right. Okay, bye. Good luck. I love her so much. Like, oh, this is great. Like, she's having the best day. <laughs> it's Dude, so it's unreal. Good. 
It's unreal. So you watched this a million years ago when it came out and loved it. I assume probably hadn't watched it since. What do you think? Second, I have second time around ish. Oh, I've I've seen this movie a dozen times. Oh, oh, okay. This I I adore every aspect of this film. There's honestly really not a moment in it I don't love. This movie to me, and I'm gonna just gonna say this. So when when we when you put on here that we were gonna do this movie, I was like. I was really excited. Well, you know, partially because I haven't seen the movie in a long time and it's just an excuse to watch it again, but also in to see like, does it hold up mm-hmm. with how, you know, cause when we watch a movie to do the show, it's such a different experience than when we watch a movie just for enjoyment. Do I just want to make two things very clear. And then I'll, I, I actually have notes because, and I wasn't planning on taking notes, but I was like, Oh my God, I have to talk about this and I have to talk about that and whatever. So I'm sorry. I'm out of my element, Donnie. Um, you're out of your element, Donnie. But I, but I had, I, there's just things that I wanted to make sure that I, I cover, but the, the biggest, okay. Two things. One, if for anybody who's going to make a music film, take notes from this movie. I hate 99.9% of all musical films. And I think that we've talked about this ad nauseum on this, this podcast because they're fake. You cast non-musical people to do things that are musical, that are all in their hands and their feet and their lungs, and they are who they are. And you ask somebody, it's one thing to act like you're heartbroken, because I would say most people have been at one point. It's another thing to ask somebody to be the greatest bowler, because you can do that in editing. Right. Mm. It's another thing to ask somebody to play a guitar or to sing perfectly in time with an with another song that they're overdubbing on. Like it is just you cannot do it. You physically cannot do it. It is not possible to get away with that, especially to another musician, which is why I hate 99 percent of them and 99 percent of musicals of music in movies Mm. that's being performed. Mm. Let me be specific. Yes, musicals. Yes, I do. But if you're trying to put it on film and you're faking it, uh, it's 100% noticeable every time, every single time. I, I mean, like even in this movie, you can tell when she's actually being recorded live while she's, you know, walking down the street or if she's not. And in that scenario, that's different. She's got headphones on. She's like literally singing to a track. But in every other scenario, the only scene to to my eye, that was the only scene that was like a pure musical moment. Um, The rest of this movie is more of musicians that are in a story. Yes. And the only other time where that's that's it's not 100 percent live is when they're actually recording the first time that they when they film them recording that first song. Mm hmm. And the engineer's like, oh, it, his ears perk up because the song's amazing. Yeah. There are moments where that, not at the beginning, but towards the end, middle and end, where you can tell that that's a recording. But that's the point, yeah. is for it to go from this organic, like he's performing this, to a professionally sounding song by the end of it. Like that's the whole point of the progression of being in a studio. You take this raw thing and you turn it into this beautiful flower. Well, without losing the raw cape, you know, piece of it so anyway 
If you're going to make a musical story or a story with any kind of performance in it, take notes on this. This is how you do it. You do it real, right? And then the, the, yeah, so there, there's, there's that. And then the other thing is like, if you're, if you're an indie filmmaker, there is no excuse to not make something. This is a, like the way they made this film. They made it on two handy cams, you know, like walking around and shooting from super far away with long lenses. So that most of the people that are in this had no idea that they were in it, right? It was just, they were just pastors by. It wasn't like they had a crew everywhere or lighting everywhere. They literally just filmed stuff as it happened. And I guarantee you probably 90% of all the stuff in this film is like, yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't think that scene you played, I don't think they asked Glenn Hansard to do that again, you know, or five times. I guarantee you, he probably, that's probably like, the performance aspect at least is like one take, mm. you know, maybe the acting took some, some stuff sure, but rehearsing or whatever. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like one, it's an easy way to get a great single take, right? You have a good performer doing, doing the job performing. Like that's what they do. So you get it. And then, and two, you get an honest performance and you get an honest, real thing. Like, you know, I, there's not for a moment, I don't think that any of this is real. And Yes, you know, they're, they're not like seasoned actors, but you know, if you're a good director, you can pull out a lot from someone who's not a seasoned actor, especially someone who's like talking about music, this thing that they love. Cause these are two characters that outside of this film, they work together. They do write music together and perform together and stuff. He was in a band called the frames years ago and had worked with her and still continues to work with her i think still to this day but if not at least when this movie was coming out was working with her so they have this chemistry and it's interesting because the guy who made this film the director used to be the bass player in in the frames so that's how he knew glenn and glenn he asked, he went to glenn and asked glenn to do the music for this he never asked glenn to be the the actor he wanted killian murphy to be the actor and he turned it down because he he realized he'd have to be acting next to a 17-year-old, which is how old she was at the time. What? Marquita was 17? Yes. And so, he, and he didn't think it would be well-received. Mm. So he said, no, uh, I'm not going to do it. And so <laughs> Glenn got the, got the gig. And one of the reasons it's called Once is because that's the only time they're going to do this. They're not going to make any other movies. He didn't want to make another movie. He's like... And he has a song called Once, which is in the in film, the credits, yeah. but yeah, in the credits, but really he, he and her were like, we're not actors. We're only doing this because we were asked and I was going to do the music anyway. So you get one of these, that's it. So there's a lot of like little things about yeah. it, but those are the two big things. If you're going to make a movie with performance in it, make it real. And if you're, if you're a, a movie maker, just make stuff, man. Mm. Like you can, you can get away with so much these days. Right. And there's no, literally no excuse. They made it on a shoestring budget. Um, 150,000, which is not much by normal film standards. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And they did get, it wasn't like all his own money. Some of it was his own money, but he also got some money from, I think the Dublin, like yeah. film society or something like mm -hmm. that, you know, right. Something yeah. like that. But, Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going on tirades here because this is hands down my favorite musical movie. 
for that specific, well, one for that specific reason Two, the music is absolutely gut wrenchingly inspiring. You know, I can't, I, I'm, I'm so excited to write now, you yeah. know, after watching this. It's funny, like watching that, especially that opening song, maybe not throughout the rest of the film, but that opening performance of him on the street right before he meets the girl. Um, and that's her name in the movie. It's girl and guy like they don't have names. And right before he meets the girl, it just gives me and this might be a major foul, but it always just gives me uh, Damien Rice vibes, like just the the oh, yeah. absolute shredding of the guitar and the, the passion and just crushing those notes, man. It, it mm-hmm. makes you feel <laughs> very deeply yeah. about life like it. It could be any number of things, but it puts you in an emotional state for sure. And that's obviously what uh, Damien Rice always does. And I believe, is he Irish as well? I want to say he's Irish, yeah. Yeah, no, dude, for sure, man. And we have much more, you know, coming out of you here in a second. But Mm -hmm. my experience with this is very much pretty different. Like the first time I saw it, I actually bought it based on your echo. And you were like, dude, you know... Have you seen this movie? I was like, no, I've been seeing that around. And, you, you, you know, you you loved it and you're like, check it out. And so I bought it and then I held on to it because I was like, I don't want to just sit down and watch this by myself. I wanted to watch it like on a date. And so it took a while before I was like, yeah, this girl is into film to some degree. So I was dating someone who went and watched this movie called Paris Jataim. Uh, it's Paris, I Love You. And it's very indie. It's an accumulation of short films basically that are told in Paris. And so I was like, yeah. So she came over, I put it on and she fell asleep like maybe 10 minutes in. And so that made me feel very self-conscious watching this movie and I didn't enjoy it. And so I just kind of, I haven't watched it since until we were doing this movie. I was like, you know, until I was just like, this is a great movie to to study. John Carney has gone on to make an incredible film called Sing Street and that I love and I've watched, you know, several times. But I wanted to go back and explore his roots because I knew he did this, you know, like you said, on a shoestring budget and just made magic happen. And it was incredibly well received, probably thanks to Killian not taking the role not because he's an an absolute phenomenal actor but because of the reasons that you're talking about and i think not having an a-list in this kind of shoestring movie adds to its charm because the the word you said is the word i keep coming back to what when i was watching and thinking about this movie is i absolutely adore it it's a freaking adorable charming film and watching it that second time i absolutely fell in love with it i was like oh this is killing me. I love this movie. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm so glad. Because I was I was nervous. I was like, man, I I I want to enjoy this movie. And and I wasn't sure how it was gonna go. But that opening sequence completely disarms you whenever he's playing on the street and he starts looking at this guy. He's like, don't do it. (laughs) The the guy's like, what, what? And he's this guy that's a little off, right? You can tell he's, he's, I don't know if he has mental health issues or not, but he definitely has this energy to him where he's erratic and you don't know what he's going to do. And then 
I love just how that whole sequence ends, right? It ends with them hugging it out. Yes, it's so good. It's perfect. And so at that yeah. moment, I was completely pulled in. And then, you know, the very next sequence being him singing again on the street for tips and just crushing it was the, the, the final blow for me. I was like, oh, yeah, I am all the way in. And then meeting her and she is just so disarming and just persistent, mildly annoying in a, in a completely endearing way because she's Czech. And it's funny because to us, this is a foreign film, right? It takes place in, in, a whole, in a different culture. It's not like it's still Western civilization, but it's in Ireland. And, and yet she's a foreigner in his country. And so there's these interesting dynamics at play. But yeah, I mean, I completely just fell in love with it. And I love that it's this it's a simple story with complicated people because at the heart of it, right? Oh, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a love story where they can't be together. And that is just has com really built in great complex dynamics. That is just brilliant writing. That's such a genius way to, to, to approach a story to say, I'm going to tell a love story with characters who aren't allowed to fall in love. And you feel that push and pull throughout the entire movie. Even, even there's this, that scene, right. Where he finding, he finds out about her They're They just got the loan and they're, they're about to do it. And they go and go for this walk. And she tells him like, I'm actually married. Cause he knew that the father wasn't in the picture anymore. I mean, he didn't really know what that meant. And now she's telling him I'm married. And he asks, you know, do you love him? And she answers him and, and check. And do you know what she says? Her response is, mm -hmm. yeah, she says, I love you. Yeah. But he, she can't tell him that. And so whenever he's like, what does that mean? Because, again, she says it in check. She's like, let's go. And that's it. That's the end. Because she can't fall in love with this guy. She's married. This is out of bounds. And so in her own way, she gets to confess her her feelings without ever actually having to be accountable for him. And it's yeah. just another genius wrinkle in the in the story, making her check presented that option uh, as a that's really yeah. that's that's really interesting oh, man you're like bringing so much up the way that they establish their relationship is not not in that scene but when she she goes over to his house and he makes a move on her and she says fuck this i'm out and leaves that basically tells you this shit ain't gonna happen yeah. right like don't expect this to there to be sex scenes in this movie right. basically and and really it you know i remember even the first time watching it there was never like i always knew like there's this like like you know push and pull like you said with them you know emotionally but you know you know when you're acting on a, a, you know across from someone you know that's totally different from actually you know, in real life, feeling the feelings when you're working on music with someone, it's the same thing. It's like, mm. you know, I can write these beautiful, loving words, but, and you can sing them. That doesn't mean that you love me because you're singing my words, you know? And so you have to keep it separate. So while I'm watching this and I'm feeling this dichotomy between them when they're performing, I'm just like putting that out of my mind and like saying, oh, no, they're performers together. Right. Mm. So then the next time that that is even a possibility is after they record the album or the EP. And she said, and he says, come back to my flat. And she said, you know, it'll only be hanky panky. And which I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. That could possibly happen if she lets it, yeah. you know, it was never even a, his response. That yeah. whole, just to finish out that, that little sequence there. He's like, yeah. no, no, there won't. And she's like, 
Yes, there will. Yes, there will. That's her yeah. way of saying that I feel something for you, you know, intensely. Yes. Um, but yes. I, it cannot be allowed to happen. If I were to be just alone with you one more time, that would be yeah. it for me. Yeah. And that's, oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, so this is, it's also brilliant writing because at the end you feel okay with it. Yeah. Like it's, it's still heart wrenching, right? But they do a few things that allow you to feel okay with it. You know, she does have that longing look out the window, which is just, oh, fuck, it's like it kills me. But, but, you know, this whole time you've been, you've been kind of seeing her husband as this like awful dude who doesn't deserve her, but he's, you know, it's, they show him playing with their daughter and then coming over and putting his hand on her back while she's playing piano and giving her a kiss on the head. Like, so she, you know, she's, she's going to be loved. Right. And then, you know, throughout when he's writing that song, when Glenn Hansard guy is writing that song and watching the old footage of his, montage. his ex girl, yeah. the montage, you kind of fall in love with her and the way yeah. that they were. And then to see him smiling, walking through the airport at the end after the piano was delivered, is kind of like a, a, a it's going to be okay for, for Guy as well. Um, so you have the both, it, it's, it's going to be okay. And they, yeah. they kind of like, it feels right. They don't it's seal it for you, but, but it, it feels right. does feel right. Uh, yeah. That's hard to nail. Yeah. And I think it really is. I think you're right. Those, those scenes really help establish our okayness with all that. And then he gets on the phone with his ex and we start to feel like, oh yeah, okay. There's, there's something there for him too. He's just not going to be alone and miserable, heartbroken still, but there's, there's still love for him. There's plenty of love for, for her. And it's uh, representative of, you know, those moments in life that I think we've all experienced where you connect with someone and it's ephemeral and that's okay. That's just mm -hmm. one of the many lives that we lead. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about that and about the, the, the brevity of it, you know? Oh yes, man. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, Let's skip into some of your notes yeah. so that we I can get to mine too, which I think will be part of it because this is going to be a two-hour episode because I just want to talk about how much I love this, I this movie. Okay, so I'll just dive right into cinematography. Obviously, on a $150,000 budget, I feel like I could do so much with that. And to some degree, I have. My, my last project had a similar budget. And, and yet, the cinematography, you wouldn't necessarily see it on the screen, I, I would be curious to see what the line items look like. I bet the crane shot at the end probably ate up, you know, 10, 15 grand. That stuff is not cheap. You probably have to to rent the, the, the city, get permits for, for, for the city to be able to just have the, the gear out there on the street like that. And so those little things can start to eat away at budget. But they shot this on HD cams, uh, Sony HVR Z1s, which I've never heard of. But they're HD camcorders. They operate on these DV tapes, digital videotapes, cassettes. And it's just like basic stuff. I was... Uh, it's like barely a, a one small step above like 20 days later quality. Very similar. And yeah, and I just I, I find that really cool because uh, a lot of this was shot in wides and mediums. There's not a lot of close ups. And I think that kind of plays into the, the, the camcorder strengths because it shoots wides and mediums very, very easily. Um, you don't have to do much to, to earn those in, in your cinematography. But the thing that blows me away watching this movie is how much 
unmotivated camera moves there are in this. Like they just kind of walk around with the camera. And I was like, is this, is this cinematographer like just a buddy? Like who shot this thing? And so I looked up Tim Fleming's work and he's done a ton of work. Like if you look up his IMDb and we'll link it, he's done tons and tons of shows, especially since this. But even before this, he had shot a lot of short films and music videos and documentaries. And I think this was his first movie, more or less. I think this was a very, very seasoned guy. They just decided we're going to go for this very voyeuristic, not quite fly on the wall, but we're going to make the audience a third person in the in the room that gets to walk around and kind of participate and look around. And, and the camera feels very much like that way. It kind of floats here and there. But again, so if you don't understand what a motivated camera move, the way I think of it is, if someone's walking, you know, across the room, then the camera gets to pan with them. Like the camera's motivated by the movement or it's motivated by uh, something that's happening on screen. And here, they it's not motivated in the sense that there's stuff happening. We're watching them them sing but there's they're just sitting there <laughs> they're not like moving around there's no movement that's motivating the camera so he just kind of starts in this medium wide then he's hanging out there for a few beats he's like you know what? i think i'm just gonna kind of walk over <laughs> a little bit closer to the piano <laughs> there's no cut there's no like cutting away and then cutting back it's just us floating around. And I just found that interesting. If I thought about it too much, it pulled me out. But if I allowed myself to go with it, it was largely okay. I think it, it mostly works because we're sucked into the music and to the emotional connections that are happening. And I think that's, that's another note for, for filmmakers. Like if you have a compelling story, you don't need all the best cinematography in the world. If you have something that's very compelling happening in your frame, there's so much forgiveness from the audience. We don't care because we're sucked into your world. And it goes back to the number one rule of filmmaking, which is tell a good story. And he did. He told such a freaking good story because in this, I don't think they, to your, to your comment earlier, like there's, there's not a lot of lighting that goes on throughout this movie. Most of it seems to be available light and some very hot practicals like the, the lights provided are usually within the shot itself. Now, some shots, I think, did have some extra ambient fill. Like I think the studio session probably had some fill that was coming off camera. Definitely the piano sequence when they're in the studio, they had that little break at 4 a.m. There's this kind of blue backlight that's that's happening that's providing some back backfill, whereas the, the mo main motivated light was like this lamp that was, you know, coming from the, the piano. But for the most part, almost every scene felt like it was just whatever is available in the room. We're going to shoot that. And it was fine. It worked like I completely believed that this was more of a documentary than it was a, uh, a staged thing. Everything feels completely real and available, which I think really helps underscore the vulnerability of, you know, who we're witnessing on screen. They played into its strengths for sure. And the interesting part was there is that section that, you know, we were just talking about the, the montage where we're watching old clips of his ex. They had to go about that a completely different way in, in order to not make it feel like 
the rest of the cinematography. You you have to make make that stand apart. And so for that, they they overexposed it. It felt much, much hotter than the rest of these scenes. Probably shot on the exact same camera. It's shakier. It's, it has a more homemade feel. And it helps separ- separate the, uh, the texture and the look from the rest of the movie so that you don't get confused about what you're seeing and and the context because if you do get confused you might not understand that that is supposed to be homemade footage that he's looking at that's them together doing magic tricks and being silly and loving and all that all that stuff you want out of uh, that kind of montage rules of a musical i don't watch enough musicals to really have a strong feel for this so i'm talking a little bit out of my neck so to speak. And so this is kind of me, you know, shooting from the hip, what I think you really want out of a musical, especially with writing, which is first rule. This one, I believe is a rule because I listened to a podcast that some, one of the guys has written musicals before, and this is something that he said. So one rule at a minimum, I know I'm getting right is sing what you cannot say. Like if, if you have a feeling and you know, words aren't going to do it justice, then you get to sing it. And of course, in this movie, they do that fairly continuously. Everything they, they almost everything they sing is something that they just can't quite articulate with normal words or wouldn't do it justice. Like, and even in the, in the silly way, right? That, that scene when they're on the bus and she's asking about his ex, he turns it into a joke and it's beautiful, right? Cause he's now he's, he's singing almost out of embarrassment and, and shame. And he's, he's using it to deflect his true emotional state, he turns into a joke. And that's such a great, great use of singing. Like, I don't feel like I've seen that happen in any other. And again, I haven't seen tons of musicals, but I don't see that happen in musicals where someone out of their shame and embarrassment decide to to sing their their heartbreak comedically instead of being like, I'm going to sing a sad, sad song now in order to show you how sad I am. And and it's, it's a great character revelation. It's brilliant. I use some of those similar tactics whenever I'm writing this project that we, we shot a few months ago, I would have my character when, when there's moments when she couldn't talk, I would have her play her instrument or do some nonverbal cue. Cause I'm like, your emotions are too much for you to get the words out right now. If you were to speak, you would break down. So you don't speak, you allow other things to speak for you. And so I just seeing him do this was just like, oh, I freaking love you, John Carney. Brilliant. Another rule, I think this is me projecting now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. I think you you should use songs to propel the story forward. It's a shorthand way of giving exposition. And they I, I don't know how much they really do that in this film. They use music as a as a montage like you get that which still kind of plays into this rule like use music for your montage and that and in that way you get to move the f- story forward like we get more exposition we get to see things progress and that's always a great use of music especially in a musical i've seen this happen in tons every disney movie you've probably ever seen uses this technique where we're going to instead of say and then he got his army together and then he trained them and then he he marched them out and to war well you could spend 20 minutes doing that but it's so much more efficient if we just do that in a three and a half minute song and now we can get to the next important moment. And in this story, they just use it more for a montage effect. Like we're just kind of move and guide the story along. Similar. Another rule I think is use a simple story 
so that you can leave space for the musical numbers. If you try to tell too complex of a story, then you're going to end up with a very, very long project because com complicated stories, complicated plots require so much more breakdown and exposition and plot points and movement that can be very difficult to uh, hinge on a song. <laughs> but a simple mm -hmm. story, you can hinge that on a song like this whole, you know, first act can hinge on, you know, one or two songs and we're into the second act. And then the third act can be wrapped up in a song. And so that's very convenient. And you want simple stories that allow for those things to happen so don't shoot yourself in the foot by making too many complicated plot points with a musical um, and I think the the final rule that I kind of came up with is musicals should provide magic I think musicals are very escapist maybe more so than most other genres not necessarily all, but a lot. Like we go to a musical to feel usually the magic is supposed to be in romance. You know, in in this, it's it's in spades for sure. But we should feel these kind of magical escapist moments. And for me, I think he does it in a very different way because like we we were talking about earlier, this feel this doesn't feel like a true musical. It feels like a drama with musicians in it, which is why we like it so much. But he provides still these really great specific magical moments. I think there's an adage that in a movie, your, your movie should have five movie trailer moments. And those are the magical moments that thrill the audience in some way that you can insert into the trailer that makes people say, Ooh, I want to watch that. And it can be anything. It can be, you know, funny, emotionally engaging. It can be hopeful, just those standout moments. And in this, I don't know that I would label these necessarily movie trailer moments, but these are the magical moments that really grabbed me. And I, I found five. I wasn't looking for five, but I just logged the ones that really popped out specific to this story. The opening sequence with the thief and singing on the corner for tips. Perfect. Great, great. I, I would... I would be surprised. I haven't seen the trailer. I'd be surprised if he didn't start the trailer with that moment, that, or at least one of the trailers. That would be a great start to a trailer where you're singing and then the guy stops. Don't do it. Oh, I'm not going to do anything. And then he just dashes away. <laughs> like that would be easy jump cut to make that just has quick, easy impact. You get the audience laughing. They're charmed and they're ready to, to join you for the rest of your two minute trailer. And it's also kind of telling of the story that we're embarking on. Like there's conflict, but the stakes aren't really so high that, you know, violence ensues or anything. That opening sequence is just absolutely pitch perfect for establishing tone. The next magical moment, I think, is them learning and playing a song together. Right. The, the piano guitar sequence in the in the music store freaking magic. It's a really patient moment, too, because he really takes his time to let us feel the process of teaching her this song. And it also feels like there's some shorthand that's happening as one musician is kind of talking to another. Like he makes sure she understands and he makes sure she's hearing the pitch properly, but then he trusts her to get it. He's like, yeah, she'll jump in. And then he just starts going, right? And it's just perfect. And there's this beautiful, towards the end of that sequence, this beautiful medium close-up of a two shot. And it's him straight on and it's her in profile. And it's and it's on sticks and it's on sticks. It's or locked off. As, as, it's wobbled. A, it wobbles a little bit because the piano is on a riser. Ah, and they're on, and she's on there it. too. And so it's shaking that, but it's on sticks and everything else is handheld. It's like a moment. It's like a moment with them, right? Where it just cuts to them. 
you get to live in that space with them for just a bit, just a little bit. It's yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Beautiful. It was in my notes. What a great, yeah. It's it's just a great shot. And I wouldn't say this movie is filled with great shots, like, but that one yeah. absolutely stands out. It's fantastic. The next magical moment I for me was her walking from the store, singing, you know, and composing the song, right? And as we said, that's kind of the only true musical moment. That's a traditional musical, or at least close to it. It's in that vein, mm-hmm. even though it's not still purely she's not like acknowledging the camera like a lot of musicals tend to do and so but it's so simple it's so beautiful it's effective and and you just completely emotionally melt because i hear that that track that he's playing and he's like this is a really romantic song she's like yeah and i'm like i'm not hearing it (laughs) and then whenever she delivers it i'm like oh that is a really romantic song Y'all are brilliant, freaking geniuses. And for me, the next magical moment, oh, this melted me, uh, was the bank loan. Like, she plays this shitty track on the cassette tape, and she's trying to pitch him and sell him so hard. She's like, just just take it to your boss. Just please, you know, just please give us this opportunity. I promise he'll love it. And the banker is like, I let me show you something. And then we cut to him playing a guitar and it's a f- very quick <laughs> laugh moment, right? You just absolutely crack up. You're like, crap. Because for me, my feeling is that he's about to lecture them about being responsible and about, look, everyone has dreams. But instead, he starts filling out the application and he just starts stamping it. And you just, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Believe. Yeah. Like, this whole movie is filled with those moments because you also the next for me the next magical moment is the the studio engineer the jaded (laughs) he's on his phone he's like i gotta yeah man i'm stuck this weekend recording these wankers you know these i forget what he calls them Mm -hmm. he's like they're terrible um and they're all and it's amazing because it's like uh an elementary school where kids found instruments and just started pots and pans and banging on it and he's just like oh God, like, what did I get myself into? And it's a super obvious setup and payoff, but I don't care. It freaking works <laughs> because if you don't have him hating it or, you know, blowing them off, then you don't have them winning him over. And so that's super simple, but God, it does it work. And this movie is just filled with people believing in each other. And I think that's where the real magic happens. The, the, the fifth real quick, I, I don't know if that was five or not but when he buys her the piano i think that's the last kind of big specific magical moment but that's the magic of this movie is it's a whole vibe it's connecting over music it's romantic possibilities it's risking it all to chase a dream it's about people believing in one another and just like encouraging him with his dad (sighs) that's another note Play it again. <laughs> Play it again. <laughs> the way you did the fist pump was like, it was very Bernie Sanders of you. I don't know why it reminded me of that. And just like, <sighs> Play it again. Like, I love that. Yeah. And Cause at first his dad is just speechless and you're like, crap, he's about to just give me the lecture. And he's like, Oh no, it's brilliant. When do you leave? <laughs> he's like, yeah. you know, Monday. Monday. Good, good on good. you. Good, yeah. Yeah. Freaking A, yeah. Like, it's so easy to make this movie about 
the hardships and about the rejection so mm-hmm. much harder and what's the word what's the word it's not silver lining but i don't know hopeful to to say let's make it instead about someone who lost his dream people around him propel him oh helping give him the gumption to take the chance i'll give you a little breather yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because i want to jump in on some of these notes because you i mean you covered a lot of what i wanted to say honestly like a lot of it right which i think says itself i think one of the one of the things to keep in mind well okay before i get to that it's interesting that we're talking about this as a musical i've never seen this movie as a musical because everything that you're saying you're like okay rule about a musical is this or this is what i think a musical is all the musicals i've seen have been like this and this is kind of like that (laughs) but not quite you know it's like this is not a musical and then you said this really isn't a musical because it's not it's a movie with music in it. It's a movie about music. It's a movie about the love of music. And and whenever you have a human being, whether they're in love with music or horse racing or whatever, they're going to they're going to be in love with another human being at some point in their life, right? And so that just happens to be one interwoven part of the story, but it could have not had that at all and still been a love story. But a love story about music. Yeah. And making it. And the reason why this isn't like a typical musical where music propels it forward because of what we're saying in the song is because these were already songs that he had written, most of them, Mm -hmm. right? Except the one maybe that she was walking down the street when that she wrote. All the other ones he had already written. So it's not like, oh, I met this girl and now I'm going to write a song about her, you know, which is the typical musical kind of like way that this stuff happens it was the song in the piano shop he had already written the song on the street he had already written you know like the song that they first recorded he had already written all of those songs so it's very much life where like you write these things and then life happens and and the other thing i wanted i was going to bring up was that another reason this movie is so freaking perfect for a musician to watch is because it's 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 exactly how it happens. You go to a studio, you check it out. The studio uh, owner is there, inter- like shows you the rooms that you know the A room. You're going to record in the A room. Here's the SSL desk. Um, oh, here's here's Barney. He's going to be your your engineer for the day. And Barney doesn't give a shit who you are because he just got off, you know, recording some death metal band for five days, <laughs> you know, for 40 bucks a day. You know what I mean? He doesn't care, you know, until you start playing and, and all of a sudden you're good. And now Barney's into it. You know what I mean? And now Barney like is invested in it. So Barney's going to stay until 4 a.m. to get your thing done. I love that. And scene. he's going to mix it all. And he's going to be a part of it. He, Barney was my. I'm calling him Barney. I don't know what his name was. I forgot. But uh, is my Derek, yeah. you know, is my guy who stayed till 4 a.m. Who believed in me because he heard my music and he's like, dude, that shit is good. I want to be part of that. Same thing here. And and that and then to have the CD, the physical thing, not a freaking MP3, like the CD that he's walking out with, the stack of them, the car test, the freaking car test. That's it. You come out of a Why studio do you do the car and you put it in the car. Well, like they say in the, in the, in the movie, you know, you've been listening on these, you know, $10,000 high end speakers, every, you know, you could, you could fart in a microphone and it sounds brilliant, but you, you take it into a car and your shitty car speakers. And all of a sudden 
you know, there's no bass or the bass is too loud. You can't hear the vocal because it's buried by the guitars. You know, the piano is like, we shouldn't be is on is in the center and you need to pan it over because you need more to the side because you need more room for the for the mandolin or whatever it is. All of these things are evident when you put them through crappy speakers. Mm. So you always take a mix out to your car is a good example, because most people listen to music in their car and see how it sounds. And so they just took it out. Like, let's do the car test, took it, take a drive. So let me ask you this yeah. is, is that the normal process for recording in a studio? You put the drummer in like timeout and everyone else uh, gets into the, <laughs> the main room. I, 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 it, I like it, calling it. Drummers depend- always deserve to be in timeout. Yeah. So it, it, it really depends on the style and on the music mm. with this kind of music. Yeah. I totally believe that it's very, you know, you're recording live in, you know, kind of in a room, you're going to have bleed into the microphones of the different instruments. And that's kind of what you want. Cause you want it to feel vibey, like you're all playing together. Mm-hmm. Cause you are, but you know, not always, I think most of the time, especially nowadays you split it up, you might all be playing at the same time, but the only thing you're recording is the drummer. Right. And then a bass, the bassist will go on and, and, or maybe drums and bass. That's what we used to do. We would record drums and bass together because they're so important to lock together that you want to track them together. And then we'd add, overdub guitars, we'd overdub piano and the, keyboards and then vocals, obviously. They're important together because like they're buddies. Yeah. So like for anybody who's, and yeah, I know we probably have a lot of non-musicians. I know you're asking me, you know, these answers, but yeah. So a bass guitar, when you, we talk about a pocket, basically the bass guitar and the kick drum are, are, best friends they got to lock in together doesn't mean they always have to be playing at the exact same time every single note but on the downbeats on the on the important hits you have them whenever there's a bass play a bass being hit and a kick drum being hit they got to be locked in together so it's best to like not always record them together but it's a good idea whenever you can just for vibe sake you know nice they gotta they gotta match up or else it feels off one more so yeah but the whole the whole process. I was just going to say, yeah, the whole process is very similar to what they did on the, in the one more question. So, and this is more speculation and your professional opinion and maybe advice. Like, what do you think he does when he gets to London? How does he chase his music career? What does that look like? I think he busts his ass. So Glenn Hansard grew up at 13 years old, busking on the streets of Dublin. Like that's, that was his upbringing. What, what is busking? He knows busking what he was doing just play on the streets for money uh, okay or play in the subway for money and so he that was that was his life i think that that's what he brought to this character this character is willing to stand out in the street and rip his heart, own heart out playing a song that that he put his heart and soul into for 10 cents you know and then this person who gave him 10 cents then helps him get a loan and these people you know work their butts off to help him make this thing he's going to bust his ass. He's going to take those discs around and, and to, you know, to labels, he's going to find places to play. He's going to, you know, play in bars, play on streets, like play for anybody who'll listen. I mean, that's what, that's what a normal musician would do. And guy in this movie is not a normal musician. He is like, he's okay with playing with playing whatever in the middle of the street for anybody who'll listen. You know, that is a caliber, honestly, you know, I'm not that caliber. Like I, I, it, that would be very difficult and out of my comfort zone for me to do. 
And to be uh, clear, and, and, you yeah. have the talent. Like, if people have not listened to any of your music, I'm linking like all of that shit in the yeah, show notes. Stop. You definitely have the talent, but you just feel like the vulnerability of being out there and like just dumping it all out there like that for maybe someone might pay attention to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little, I've been doing it for so long. Like, I mean, I have done it, but usually I have like two or three guys around mm -hmm. me, you know, on a stage, even if there's five people in the audience, like whatever, uh -huh. you know, we're, we're just here to play. So I have done it, but not busking. I've, I've never bust. Oh. So anyway, yeah, that's, I, I think that he, bust his ass and he's successful to a point. I don't necessarily know if he blows up, you know, I don't think that's what you were asking, but I think that his effort level is definitely there. Why? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just curious, like for someone who would be getting their demo together and then saying, yeah, I'm going to go give it a shot. I just had no idea what really what that meant other than, I mean, I know some of the, the, the older style would be, especially in this era, right? In 2006 or seven, when it was made, you, you go to A&R reps and you, you do go to the studio labels and you reach out from to managers, see if you can get management who knows all those people. You start trying to book gigs and, and places, but I loved your point of like this guy, you know, he's playing on the street. He's probably going to keep doing that. And I, he probably is going to pick very strategic places to do it too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, let's keep in mind also when this, this came out, this is pre 2008, yeah. right? So Apple music, this whole loan. Yeah. Yeah. Pre Apple music, pre Spotify, this whole loan thing, mm. you know, like that might be something that most people are, would look at and be like, no, oh, that's completely no way in hell that would happen. That's definite that I got a loan yeah. in 2006, 2007. I got a loan from my band to make an album from a bank. That shit happened. I did it here. So yes, that did happen in the, in the, at the time where banks would give loans to artists and stuff. So today, no way in hell, no way in hell that would happen. But back then, yeah. So you might watch this and think that's un, unbelievable, but it actually, yeah. you know, was a thing. One, one thing I wanted to just say, and I know you've got more notes. We'll come right back. I'm done. Is that one... The biggest, oh, you're done. The, the biggest note that I had really was, and the reason why to me, this is a, it's a love story about music is because everything is, everything is surrounded. Music starts and ends everything. The very first thing that you hear is him busking. And then, you know, the whole sequence of him running. And then the very next thing after that is him busking again. And we, we have, we meet the girl through music. So we, we enter we meet him, we meet guy through music and then we meet girl through music. The transition then from is through music to the next thing, to the next scene, to the Hoover shop, to his bedroom. We transition through music. We transition to the bus through music where he tells the story through music of, of his ex. Everything is, is like, it's always music first. Yeah. It's always about that. And it was always there. It was always there for him. And it was always there for her. Obviously, she's a P, she's a player. And you know she's a player when they go into the piano shop and she sits down and he's telling her, here's the melody, whatever. And she just plays it. She's not searching for the notes. She just plays it. And 
for him to say, okay, there's, here's the A section, here's the B section. And then we go to the chorus and you know, whatever, like you need to know what that means in order to know. And you need to be able to feel it while he's playing it to know, okay, we're going to B section. We're going to chorus here, you know, or for him to look and he gives her a look and they're going to hold this chord for a little longer. Right. Mm. And, and so, so, you know, that she's a player. And then even at the end, when she's playing the piano in her, in her, um, apartment, Mm. she's going off. You can't hear her playing because the music is on top of it. But she's like, like your fingers are fast. You and know? then she's looking at, not even looking at what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for, for me, that was like the biggest, it reminded me of how much I love that. You know, I, I've forgotten that for so long, you know, and just to, to watch this again is like, it's a life altering film for me. It really is. It like reminds me of what I am at my core. I might go off and do other things like train for Ironmans and stuff. And I might, you know, not play or not write for a while or whatever, but I'm always going to come back to it. And it's always there. It's like this thing that just will catch me anytime I fall. And the same feeling I had listening to talk by Sigur Rós, I'm going to have today that I did 15 years ago, the first time I heard it. And it's just always there. And that this movie is part of that, not just because music is amazing, but because it was done in such a way that it honors those people that make it. And, and even hell, even where it comes from this heartbreak, I mean, watching her play that song and breaking down in the dark room at 4am, that is completely believable. I've done that. I think you've done that. Like, it's like completely a thing that you do. And you know that you're doing it right if that, if that happens. And so all of it, I've been through all of it and I've seen it. I've seen everything that's happened in this movie and it's happened to me. And it's, it's just such a wonderful, like almost a love story to me say, Hey, this is cool, man. You know, you're not the only one, you know? And then, yeah, the dad scene at the end, cause his, his dad's kind of like this hard nosed guy who, you know, he'll ask him, I think, what was it about the, Oh, she, when she says your son's really talented and he's like, Oh, what do you mean? Is he? What do you, is yeah. Is he? Oh. And then just, man, that just the way that he responds at the end is you, you, you nailed it on the head that the nail on the head there about this movie, not being about too much. You don't need to add a wrinkle about his dad, not wanting him to leave. You know, his response is so freaking perfect too. The writing is brilliant. When he says, you're going to be okay. And his dad said, I was okay before you, man. You know, like you get the, you get the heart wrenching concern of guy, but you know, you get his dad letting him go, giving him the assurance. Like you've got this, you know, I'm, a, I'm all right. Cheering him on, man. God. And cheering him on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty much it. I, I think they, they, and they just do, they do everything live and the audio isn't perfect. And that's part of it. That scene you played. What? Go yeah. Ahead. Well, the thing that blows me away is I know the audio audio isn't like magnificent, but against the, the video image, the audio is spectacular. 
Like, yes, it's really, really, I would imagine most of their budget went to, we're going to figure out how to capture the best audio we possibly can given the circumstances, because it sounds absolutely fantastic considering how far away we are so often with the camera. There's no booms in there. They're not, they're, they're hiding mics all over the place. I can only imagine how much of a pain in the ass that was, you know, as they're monitoring, right? Uh, guys, no, we're getting rubbing again. We're going to have to go again. Like, and the sound man oh, goes in, how they did checking the lobs. Yeah. Oh, but it sounds yeah, oh absolutely gosh. fantastic considering, you know, just the, the image quality that we're looking at. They spent, they put all their effort into making the sound as good as they could. Yeah. I would like, I would like to see how they did it because yeah, you know, that, that shot, they start super far away on the other side of the street. And he's by himself. And obviously you hear the, the space, which is basically outside. Mm-hmm. But as we, but it still sounds like he's like right there. And then as we get closer, he gets a little bit closer. I mean, I don't know. But even in that scene, so a normal high budget film would, you know, oh, we have to EQ the guitar with the voice. We have to level that out. They don't do that here. They have like one track. And his voice, when he screams, blows out the guitar. Yeah. If you listen again, when he's when he screams, you can't hear the guitar at all. It's gone huh. until until his voice comes back down a little bit, and then the guitar can then again take over some of that resonant. Right. But he takes over the availability mic and leaves no, no space for the, the the guitar. There is no space. <laughs> he like peaks. It peaks. You know, it's a it's an analog peak, so it actually sounds yeah, good. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Because yeah, I don't hear any sounds, clipping. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So and the difference there is like just for anybody listening. I know we're going along, but this is all very very important to us. So, but an analog peak is different from a digital peak. A digital peak is really not something you ever want because an analog peak means, okay, here's my ceiling. My ceiling's at whatever, negative 12 dB. Mm-hmm. And if I go to negative 10, I just get a little bit of graininess. It's kind of like adding ISO on a camera. You can add it to a point and you'll get a little bit of graininess, but you can still use it. It almost is like a character mm-hmm. kind of building thing. It almost is desirable in a lot of ways to a point. Right. And then all of a sudden it's just noisy as shit and you don't, you can't use it. And this is the, it's very similar with analog peaking. Analog peaking is actually desirable and they make things called saturation plugins and saturation essentially is distortion. And that, so it's desirable almost everywhere and almost every track you listen to, you're going to have some kind of saturation because it also brings out other resonant qualities of whatever instrument that is. But a digital peak is different because all that's doing is adding digital distortion and digital distortion. If you think of it, like think of it like a saw blade as opposed to like a a tear in a piece of fabric, right? If you have a tear in a piece of fabric, it still can look beautiful, right? But if you have a saw blade, you have all these teeth Mm. and it's like up or down, up or down. It's not ever kind of like, it's very one and zero. Yeah. And so you have this kind of like crackle that almost ruins everything. So anyway, what he was doing was analog distortion, um, which just makes it sound intense, right? And takes over everything. And they didn't even care. They didn't, there's like, this is how it would sound if we were standing in the damn street. And he was screaming 
and and playing his guitar and he's screaming that loud all i'm hearing is his voice i don't hear a guitar that's it you know and then in the piano the piano shop like you know very similar i mean it's just they don't try to fix anything they just keep it as real as possible and because the story they stick to the story about it being a love story with music and they don't add any complexity i mean guy and girl never kiss there is after after he makes the move on her and she shuts him down there is nothing like i said earlier there is nothing that makes you feel like oh he's he should press or he's going to press or she's no. finally going to break or anything you know it, it's not about that it's such an homage to this thing that we love so much that has saved us in ways that has saved probably more people than they really realize it's a seminal movie for me uh, it's in my top 5 for sure now after watching it again because i've been it'd been a long time since i'd seen it and now that i'm uh, you know talking about it and i watched it again last night i want to watch it again tonight even though it's almost you know it's 11:30 i just can't get enough of it and it it's it's not only inspiring for me to write to get back to acoustic guitar rather than you know just writing in the box uh, on a computer but it also inspires me to want to make something else, like make some, make a movie, yeah. you know, with you. Like we were talking about actually doing something yeah. and to just do it. Like it, it's just a, who cares? Throw, throw it on the wall and just go for it. See what sticks, man. I, yes. Yes. And like the best idea wins yeah. no egos, yeah. man. You know, I've started writing with, with my old guitarist again, and we have a completely different outlook on how we work. I'm not the writer. He is not the writer. We're just like, you have this idea. Okay, cool. Let's turn it into something. Let's make it something. I'm not going to tell you that's not a good idea or that's good, but let's do this. Like, no, I'm going to take that and I'm going to do something with it. Okay. Now you're going to take this and do something with it. And then we're going to see what turns out. And the other thing, and I'm going to stop after this is I have also found a, a love of releasing what I've made. So, in the way I used to be was I hold on, I make this piece of music, this song, this, whatever it is. And I hold on to it. Like it's mine forever. I put out this record and that's my album that I made. And it is not that. And I've, I've been wrong my whole life. It is, it is just a thing. And the moment I'm done with it and I got to be done with it at some point, you know, I, it's gotta be done. It's, it's not mine anymore. It belongs to the world. It belongs to whatever I do with it, but it's done. Don't hang on to it. Move on to the next thing, move on to the next song, the next film, the next, whatever it is you're going to do. And that's so freeing, not only afterwards when you let it go, but even during, because it takes the pressure off you, man. Like you, you sit there and you think, oh my God, it's gotta be perfect because this has my name on it. This is like who I am. I make films or this is who I am. I make music. It's gotta be great. It's gotta be great. That line's not right. Oh my gosh. You know, whatever. I sold a song. I just sold a song that wasn't done. Lyrically was not done. It hasn't been done for 10 years. I just haven't found that last line. And I said, Oh, well, and I sold it and they bought it. But you know what? That's all right. Yeah. Nobody else in the entire world not only knows nor cares that to me that song's not done. 
So my point is that nothing will be perfect, but it can be finished. It can be done. And so to, to take that, what they did here, could there be things that could have been done better? The cinematography could have been better, like to your point, you know, maybe some things could have been, but to me it was perfect because of the way all the things around it that I know about it that were done and the way that they, they told the story from a musician point of view. The guy who made it is a musician. The guy who made it has been through all of these things. Guy, uh, Glenn Hansard, Marquetta, they are musicians. They got real players. I'm sorry, I'll stop. I think that's it. (laughs) Dude, nice. Yeah, I I loved it. Yeah, this will be much more in my rotation now that I've kind of rediscovered it. And so, or... I don't know, maybe discovered it. And so, very cool. What are you going to recommend this week? I don't know if we, if we, yeah, we haven't recommended it. Cool. But I want to recommend Amadeus. No, we haven't. Did he recommend it no. when he was on here? Okay. I want to recommend Amadeus. It's, it's, I think it's Scott's favorite film, if not one of them. It's definitely up there, top three. Uh, my buddy Scott, who, who uh, played in my, my band who I'm working with now. Great film. It's also another, you know, like it's a film about a guy, (laughs) a Mozart, but about a guy who loved life and music was only part of his life. It was his life, but he looked at it in a, in a, in a way of you just make it, you just do it and you put it out. And that made a lot of people crazy because he was so good at it. And it's a excellent Really, really well written, well acted, well shot film. Well, it's unbelievable. Yeah, best picture winner, I believe, nineteen eighty four, which is pretty. Look at you! Cool. <laughs> Look at you! Gosh, you're full of uh, all kinds of knowledge well, like factoids. that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I'm going to recommend another music based film. This one is an actual musical. Neither of the the one you recorded or the one we covered are musicals, but this one is an actual musical that I actually yeah. love. And I think it's just fantastic. It's called Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog. It stars Neil Patrick Harris as the titular title character, Dr. Horrible. And it's, it's silly. It's written and directed by Joss Whedon, who you may know from mm-hmm. like making serenity and buffy and the first couple of avenger movies yeah it's fantastic it was made for fun it was kind of released online as like webisodes and now i think you can find it strung together in like one 45 minute i don't know long short film or short feature film i don't know what you want to label it as but dude i love that reco i remember so seeing that thinking fun. this is incredible so good it's so it's really, really good because he's yeah. talented. He is such a talented actor. Like he sings and he plays probably a lot of instruments. And so him performing, you buy into because he's actually performing. Now he may be lip, lip syncing, but he's still performing to the track. And so, yeah, I think it's really, really fun. It's one of the very few musicals that I dearly love. And there's some that I probably tolerate, but that one I really love. So Anyway, wanted to this week we have a short spotlight. It's a short film called Milk and Cookies by Patrick Mulvey and Andrew Scott Ramsey. This one I found through one of the sites that I, I really avoid using for the short spotlight, which is uh, shortoftheweek.com. But this one was so good and I thought pointed because 
they use an, uh, a little girl who's a non-actor. Like she's probably five years old and she's not an actor, but they direct her in in very excellent way. And it's an absolutely fantastic movie with, once again, the most basic, simplest plot, which is there's a little girl who wants milk and cookies. That is the plot. And they do so much with it in ways that you really don't expect. They add so much layers and textures by just presenting her worldview of wanting milk and cookies. And it's it's amazing. And you will melt. The little girl is incredible. If she doesn't keep acting, it's the world's loss unless, you know, she goes on to cure all the cancers or whatever. In which case, you know. There's a trade-off. <laughs> but yeah, so highly recommend that. That'll be in the show notes. And stay tuned for next week. We're going to tackle Christopher Nolan's very first movie that he made on shoestring of shoestring budgets. It's called Following. It was before Memento. And we're going to take a look at that and see what we can learn from him, from the master. And so... Yeah, stay tuned for that next week. Subscribe, review us on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you listen to us on. Drop us a review. Leave us a note if you want us to talk about a thing or cover a movie or what you find interesting or what have you. And if you want to leave a note on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash once. And our quote of the day is from Andrew Lloyd Webber. If you look at my career, I couldn't possibly have chosen those subjects if I was thinking, that's a great commercial idea. I'm not aware of any great musical where someone has done that. Great quote. Yeah, if you're if you're not aware of who Android Android Andrew Lloyd Webber is, uh, <laughs> he might be an Android. I mean, the the films. Maybe, yeah, the, sounds the like projects it. he's yeah. written. I mean, he wrote stuff like Jesus Christ Superstar, Phantom of the Opera, and a slew of others like you, Cats. Like he's he's made so many incredibly famous uh, musicals, and so. That coming from him says a lot. And it's such a such a good point. And it's one of the reasons why I really don't like log lines. There's a thing when you're writing a script is you need to write a log line that is kind of a this then that statement where, you know, this happens and then this happens and then that means X happens. And it's usually like, you know, a young man, you know, figures out the loophole in time travel. But in the process loses his girlfriend and it's such a it's it's useless things that usually sound like good log lines don't make for very good movies and and if you were to describe this movie like a modern day musical and this isn't the log line it's the synopsis it's just a very very short synopsis but it could probably pass as a log line a modern day musical about a busker and an immigrant and their eventful week in dublin as they write rehearse and record songs that tell their love story like that's not it doesn't give you enough time to really help you fall in love with the story. Um, it's just hard to tell a complete engaging story that you want to spend an hour and a half in, in the, in the span of, you know, 25 words. And so it's, it's compelling to say, I need to write a great commercial idea that's succinct and really has people hooked, but it's probably not the best place to start from. Instead, start from something that you're interested in. Like this is compelling to me. Even I don't know if other people are going to like it. Other people, maybe, maybe not. Like that's just, it's not a good place to start though. Start with what is interesting to you and operate from there. Yeah. Anyway, that was about a thousand words longer than needed to. (laughs) No, 
dude, no, you hit the nail on the head. That's it. I mean, and, uh, and also it's, this shit is not easy. So if you start with trying to please other people rather than writing something or working on something that is important to you, you it's going to get old real quick. Even if you get, you know, a couple ideas down, it's, you, you're going to hit a wall. And the first time it's, it's, you know, you have writer's block or it's hard to get through something or you don't like, you're like not feeling it. You won't finish. Right. Great the only point. way to finish. The only way to finish is if you're interested in it. And the only way, you know, so yeah, you have to start with something that you are interested in a hundred percent. I totally agree. And because the other thing is that people are people. You don't, people don't even know what they want, yeah. much less you knowing what they want. So why try to give somebody something that they don't even know of, that they don't even know if they want? You just give them stuff. And if they like it and identify with it, great. I mean, I would say, you know, most of the things that, Okay, this is a really good example. It's actually it's a really bad example, but it's an interesting one. My son likes to watch these video games online. And like people play video games online. He likes to watch them. And he likes to play them too. But some of these video games are absolutely ridiculous. And I don't mean they're bad. I just mean they're insane. You know, like plants versus zombies. Mm. He it's a great game. Yeah, it's great. He has it. He play, he plays it and he watches it. But that was some idiot getting high in a basement thinking, oh, I should make a game. Oh, what if it's like people eating plants and, zo- and zombies? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, there's other games like where you're a frog and the way to sh- to like jump is you fart and it like shoots you up in the air. And it's huge. It's huge. My point is, is that nobody sat down and said, this is going to be a hit. Plants versus zombies. And then it was. It was like, here's a stupid idea that I am interested in, that I like, that would be fun to make. And then you get other people on board. You get a, you know, a, a, a production house on board and then you make it. It's very the same way here. You know, there's no way you're going to write a musical or a film if you are not excited about the thing you're writing about. So I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it makes me want to go uh, listen to some of his musicals now, actually, again. That's awesome. That was so cool. Any last minute words? Nothing. <laughs> I sucked it out of you. I sucked it out of you. I know it's less fun when I come in with notes. No, that was awesome. But, that was uh, fantastic. But... I just, I really hope if, if somebody has made it through this whole thing and you still haven't watched this movie, go watch it and, and not with somebody who's going to fall asleep in the first 10 minutes. I, I just, my, my heart breaks that you had to deal with that in your first viewing, but I'm really glad that you, that you got another chance to view it and you felt the same or similar Absolutely. to how I feel. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us and for staying with us this whole time. If you have, you're a little insane, but we really appreciate yes. it. Make sure to uh, follow us next week. Or we'll be covering following and subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. <laughs> <laughs>